This is Defenders TV podcast episode 224 about Jessica Jones season 3 episode 2 aka you're welcome. Welcome back, fellow Defenders, to episode two of our coverage of Jessica Jones Season 3, a.k.a. You're Welcome. Yes, uh, this is our 224th episode on Defenders TV Podcast. Mm -hmm. I am one of your hosts, John. It's a better 403rd episode on TV Podcast Industries. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. And rounding out this uh, amazing trio, I'm Chris. Welcome back, Chris. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, timing is an issue at the moment, but uh, I will never forfeit my uh, Defenders TV podcast family. Excellent, excellent. It's been a while, yeah. We haven't had Chris on board for Defenders TV podcast since back at uh, Avengers Endgame, right? So, uh, yeah. first Defenders episode since then. We've had you on uh, TV podcast industries talking about good omens, um, but yep. this is the first time back for Defenders for the final season of Jessica Jones. Yes, speaking of Good Omens and TV Podcast Industries, please pop on over to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com to leave a voicemail or subscribe on any drunk or sober podcast player. Uh, And of course, you can send in your emails to feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com as well. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. But with that, on to our spoiler-filled review of AKA You're Welcome. Derek, what are some of the episode details? Well, the episode was written by Hilly Hicks Jr. We've heard of Hilly Hicks a couple of times, right back to season one, uh, where he wrote two episodes. Uh, he wrote AKA 99 Friends and AKA Take a Bloody Number. Uh, we mentioned back then that his father also played Robbie Robertson in the TV show Spider-Man back in 1977 cool. as well. So uh, lots of connections to the Marvel Universe. But also, he did write an episode in season two of Jessica Jones. He wrote, I want your cray-cray last season. Just wanted to put oh, that no. back in your head. That's going to be back in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I was really hoping, since we had a whole episode about Trish this episode, I was really hoping that we get a little snippet of I want your cray-cray in the background, that maybe on a radio actually, or something. Yeah. But I think her career has totally dried up and burned after her uh, after those moments of her being a, a singing sensation. Yeah, no, that would have been really good to have gotten a bit of cray-cray uh, as well. And certainly, um, yeah, I think Cardigans Forever with uh, the QVC role now that Trish has. And I do like Hilly Hicks Jr. It is quite a good name. Kind of rolls, doesn't it? It's kind of like Hilly Hicks Jr. Mm-hmm. It, is, it is really cool, isn't it? Speaking of Cardigans Forever, the director of the episode is... Kristen Ritter, who's well known as being a cardigan maker and a knitter on set. She's always knitting all the time, which I think is the reason why we do have the cardigans in here. Yes, Jessica Jones herself is directing this episode. I would definitely take any kind of direction from Jessica Jones on set. She'd just be telling me what to do all the time. Like, yeah, no problem. Don't get angry with me, please. (laughs) Please don't punch me. (laughs) But John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. Trish becomes Hellno, I mean Hellcat, as she begins her journey to become a hero all the time gleaning the lessons she learned from Jessica Jones. From parkour training through to stakeouts, Trish is fully committed as she begins to scan the police channels for people to save. All the time, the events of the fairground and the shooting of Jessica's mother weighs heavy on her mind and her relationship with Jessica. Trish tries to reach out to Jessica and make amends, but all for nothing. Trisha's hero training ramps up and moves from theory to practice, and as a result, her private life becomes disconnected as she has served notice for tackling a petty thief, and her choices start to worry her mother, Dorothy Walker. 
Her cases also start to become more difficult as she tracks Andrew Brandt, a man who hired thugs to beat up his sister to obtain an inherited statue following the death of their mother. Following her careful preparation, her investigation intersects with Jessica Jones, and while Brandt flees the scene, Jessica and Trish still don't make up. Days later, Trish gets a call from Malcolm. Jessica is in hospital and has asked for her friend. Or has she? That is the question. Yeah, it was a bit that that that, that ending was what got me. It was just that spoiled look on her face. I was just like, <laughs> yeah. hmm. But anyway, before we get into that spoiled look, I think let's jump directly into our case notes. Mm-hmm. We, uh, I'm going to just tell you very quickly, we have our top five case notes. As always, we go through them individually. We discuss what we think are the top five areas that you need to know about from this spoiler-filled episode review. So let's jump straight into it. Much like an 80s film, do you know what we need? We need a case note number one. We need a training montage. Oh, yes. Woo! Training <laughs> yes. montage. Yeah. <laughs> Always the best part of any any movie. I absolutely loved the scene. And I really think that Kristen Ritter was having a lot of fun with uh, Rachel Taylor in this scene as she's going to the park and training and working out. And it's really interesting, isn't it? Like when you get superpowers, your first day of having superpowers and you go down and train. I love that moment where she just climbs up on a table and jumps off it, <laughs> as if like, you know, my superpower is now to jump. Um, six inches off the ground to the ground <laughs> and you can see it in Rachel Taylor's face she's kind of going yeah that wasn't really that much was it the thing is I, I definitely had that as well I was kind of going oh she jumped on a table uh, that's not really the height of superpowers mm-hmm. but then I thought yeah I wouldn't be able to do that so actually um, compared to me that is a superhero true that's a super lady uh, jumping up onto the table yeah. and quite frankly I couldn't do the backflip either oh, or certainly. that lovely spinny thing that she does off the wall as well yeah in fact dare i say it i probably couldn't even do the monkey bars well true but she couldn't do this she could only do the first three of them as she started training you know uh, i do like that the scene takes place directly after her last scene in season two and she caught the phone with her with her foot and then tries to replicate it in the lift on the way down from jessica's apartment and throws the phone in the air and just kicks the phone to the ground smashing the glass on the front of it i love that because it is you know obviously anybody who has an iphone or anybody who has a, a smartphone knows how easy Easily that glass breaks as well. So I love that she just tries to replicate the one tiny little thing that her, that she's been able to do, and immediately it goes wrong for her. But the training of the park sequence, like, is really good. Yeah, it's a good little gag. The mobile phone thing, actually, in the lift, uh, mm-hmm. I like that. I, I enjoyed the the whole lot. I, I did expect to get at some point, as I said, the the eighties overhaul. Uh-huh. <laughs> it it's good to know that like it didn't happen within seconds. Mm-hmm. That she did put some of the work in. And yeah, it's kind of gives us a flavor of her skill set, I suppose, which is that enhanced reflexes. We don't see very much of enhanced strength or enhanced kind of durability. Mm-hmm. It all just seems to be enhanced, enhanced reflexes, just the ability to be a bit more fe- feline, a bit more life, a bit more ad- Agile. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, the weird thing for me was that, you know, because she does jump out of Andrew Brandt's window. And I was, like, going, that is some drop, I think. If yeah. I, You know, he's not, like, on the first floor. He's at least second floor up. So, what, he, he's at least, like, 15 to 20 meters up. So, I, I am kind of there going... That does seem a little bit of a step up from the kind of parkour montage that she was doing. Yeah. But having said that, I like seeing some of the moves that she did in um, that montage 
that she had done in the first episode, so like I think get away from uh, Jessica, for mm-hmm. example, that whole run up the wall and backflip to to get away. So I thought that was really nice, but yeah, it's um, it, it's good to have the training montage, and I think yeah, that idea that she's really had to work at it. You know, she's been training hard, and then she trains hard with her trainer. Mm-hmm. I do love yeah that backflip where she runs at the wall and just face plants directly afterwards as well because we saw her achieve it correctly in episode one, but this is obviously beforehand, so she's training towards it. I like that, as you say, they pepper it in there, and it doesn't happen instantly for her, you know? She is still a street-level hero here, so she's not going to get superpowers of the level of, like, Captain America or any of those kind of big level hero she still needs to be kept grounded within the world of these defenders universe characters as well so i kind of like that yes she might have a little more power and it's really only from her trainer who says to her when she's doing her krav maga classes uh is she training on the side with another trainer that's all he says to her he doesn't seem to indicate that she's much more strong and much more powerful he seems to indicate that she's just a bit better and a bit more flexible than she was the last time they had a class yeah, like, yeah, the two things uh, from me, I think, I really like the idea that, you know, she calls out, she's gleaning the information or the experience that she learned while she was friends with Jessica. Mm-hmm. And although I'm not entirely sure any detective would use Bing, um, to be <laughs> honest, uh, as a, yeah. a search browser. <laughs> uh, but, you know, and I like that she's applying it. So it's not just the physical, but it, it's this whole PI element, this investigative uh, work, you know, she she's really you sense that she's gleaning um, what she uh, experienced when she was with Jessica. You know, her hustle effectively to get information. And I really like that uh, for sure. The other thing was, you know, did she have to? I this is what I couldn't quite remember. Did she have to take pills to to get um, these special um, skills or those enhanced reflexes? Well, she definitely took some pills to try and replicate the kind of power that uh, Nuke, her, her boyfriend, Will Simpson, had uh, back in season one. Uh, we saw him a little bit in season two, and then she did have an operation in season two from the guy that um, that gave Jessica's mother her powers. So that's why she has now had the powers, because she was experimented on, and it was a failed experiment, remember, so she didn't think she had the powers until that last moment at the end of, of season two. Um, so it's not pills that caused this, it's the pills that drove her to get more powerful and she did try and stop a couple of crimes throughout season two and then right at the end of season two she had gone through this experiment that had uh, that she thought hadn't worked until that last moment so it's almost like a flickering light bulb really the the powers come off and on as we kind of see in the lift where on the one hand she's able to balance her phone on a tip of her toe and then the next time she does it she can't but this training is to make sure that the bulb stays on fully like it's almost like honing that that skill that has kind of been introduced to her through this um through this operation uh even though you know she thought initially it had failed Maybe, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's a good contrast to Jessica. We we've talked about it many times over the podcast about this thing of can Jessica fly or jump, and that we know that she can fly but doesn't want to. She doesn't practice it. She doesn't do any of it. So she just jumps. Um, so we kind of know that that's where Jessica has landed because she makes no practice out of it. She's just strong. So she punches people, they fly away from her because mm-hmm. she has strength. Yeah. Whereas the difference here is that now that Trish has powers. She's going to accept them on board and she's going to train her heart out to make sure that she can use all of these new powers that she has. But it's not like, how far can I, how far can I jump? How far can I punch someone? It is just training in her martial arts and using the powers that are inside her now to be better at them than she would have been in the past. But you're right. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like the, 
superhero montage like you have with a Spider-Man or with any of those kind of characters who get, you know, get spider powers effectively to be able to shoot webs, that kind of stuff. She doesn't have any of that. She just has some more strength inside her and some more endurance inside her. So she's going to use those to become better. She's going to become a, a marathon runner out of it, but she wants to fight crime, which is the difference here. Yeah. Yeah. But that kind of brings us on to our second case note for this episode, which is the true cost of being a hero. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, it is boring. <laughs> I absolutely love this scene, though. I think they must have had so much fun. You can hear uh, Kristen Ritter's voice a couple of times on the uh, police scanner, um, calling out some of the actual crimes that are going on in New York. This is just a great twist on things you've seen right back to the 70s when someone wants to become a vigilante or wants to become a private investigator, that they get this ability to listen in on the police scanner. Some of the stuff that's in there is absolutely hilarious. The break-in at Sally's Pets on 45th and 7th, cats released. <laughs> hilarious. And then the man complaining that his neighbour is urinating on his Prius is absolutely brilliant. I love that these are the kind of things that the police are being called to. It's also that she, you know, she's walking down the street, she thinks two guys are about to have a massive fight, but mm-hmm. they're just kind of jostling with one another, uh, having a bit of a laugh. And yeah. there's a guy that looks like he's kind of zoning out out from either drink or drugs or something mm-hmm. but he, he's just the you know she's she's kind of wanting to um insert herself to save people it's yeah. like i must save people um but uh yeah the the scanner it kind of brings this all down to reality that yeah. um you know the cops are there doing this kind of stuff um and i mean it's it's kind of it's brought into focus with the the jewelry store robbery where you know you get that epic music sort of building up she's running she's checking for the street signs she's there and as she's so close you see the the police car kind of zoom in front of her and plus there's two cops already there well, who exactly. have, and it's like yeah we've got this in hand it's all all the radio chatter is yeah this is all okay this we've got it in hand you mm-hmm. know we'll bring them back to base kind of thing uh, and she's like ugh damn it, <laughs> I miss my chance. <laughs> exactly. And then you hear on the radio, that's the Christian Ritter voice going, um, any available units ready? There's a woman trapped in a bathroom by a rat. Because <laughs> it's just, again, the how mundane the actual calls that 911 gets in New York. You know, I really like this. I think it's a really good choice. Yeah, this was, for me, it was just more the, 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 the funny element. Mm-hmm. As you said, the true issues that a uh, New York police officer has to face. Mm-hmm. But then every now and again they do get the the, the cool one, which is the the poli- the, the robbery. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't fully understand the uh, the the signs. I knew it was to show progression as she was running, but it was mm-hmm. just like, okay, is is her speeding up? It felt like they were trying to show that like the progression, but also how quick she was running. And then yeah. you get the end point where she doesn't get there in time. I was like, mm-hmm. ah, well, they maybe should have slowed it down or had her out of breath or something. <laughs> I think I think that's just one of those things. That we're so used to seeing New York on, on screen, especially during all these years of watching The Defenders. And you've been to New York a bunch of times, yeah. Chris, as well as, as we have. You know, maybe you wouldn't be aware if you haven't been to New York how easy it is to navigate across the streets and avenues of New York. Because it's just, well, 7th Street is here. And if you're going to 8th Street, it's the next it's the next street down. If you're going from 45th to 44th, it's the next block down, you know. So it is just one of those things they do. And a lot of filming in New York to show you outdoors how easy it is to get from one place to another 
is just you keep walking down the streets and counting that way. So I think that's all they were doing was just saying, this is how close she is to this reported crime. Uh, okay. But she still can't make it there because there's so many police officers in New York and they're they're always dealing with these really mundane calls. Of course, they're going to run to the jewellery store robbery. <laughs> I, have, I have a theory on the street signs, actually. Um, it's because she's not native New Yorker. She's Australian, the actress. <laughs> and of course, the, the street signs make no sense because they don't run with the street. They run... Uh, Against the street. Because <laughs> that's the thing I always confuses me. I'm like, and I'm on constantly the wrong street in New York because you you see the sign and you go, oh, it's that way. And it's not because it's telling you you're on that yeah, street. On the street. Rather than having to look to the side to see where it is. Yeah. Interesting. I've never noticed that. I've been to New York with you a few times. <laughs> yeah, but I remember driving in America and it's like, okay, I don't need to turn left here because that's not the street I need to be on. Right. I'm actually on the street. Whereas in yeah. the UK and Ireland, that would be the sign would be in the centre of the pole as opposed to hanging out to the left of it or to the right of it. And you think because it's hanging out to the left or the right, that's the that's where you turn to get onto the street. I get Well, you. yeah, weirdly, driving, you have to look to the side to see what street you're on, whereas mm-hmm. there you have it in front of you. So it's right. safer, it makes sense, but it's just like totally counterintuitive just for different. someone uh, not used to that system. Yeah. For me, Interesting. anyway. Interesting. Just one thing as well. I know we didn't get the chance to go back and watch season two of Jessica Jones. You mentioned earlier on that she did take some uh, some enhancements to try and become the superhero back in season two. It was the spray. It was the inhaler. That's right. It was the it was the inhaler full That's of stuff. It. That's right. Didn't she try and stop a guy on a bus that was causing problems with a bus driver? And didn't she try and stop a guy in the street who was hassling some girls that were walking past? Because I think. There's reference to two of those as she's walking down the street. She hears on the police scanner that there's a, a man giving abuse to a bus driver. And we see two guys hassling some girls that are walking by and she gives them a quick look. Yes. So I think she's looking for bigger crimes now that she has definitely got her superpowers. And I think that's what those, the little montage here is indicating. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, that does make sense. Quite cool. Well, moving it slightly on, um, we get two things out of this. The, the first, as, as it begins, we start to see that, um, she does, she does actually help stop a crime. A man has mm-hmm. his phone stolen and she beats up a guy who stole the phone, um, which was very nice. But again, it becomes the issue of being a vigilante with your face. Plastered mm-hmm. everywhere means uh, everyone recognizes Patsy. Absolutely, I do love that flip over the wall and kick him in the face. It's really cool. Like it's it's better than some of the moves we've seen her doing in her training montage. The the flip over the wall and boot to the face. It's very cool. But yeah, it does damage his neck. It seems. Yeah, it was pretty neat. I think the thing I really liked from this was just that the you know the victims on his back going, "Oh, you sprained my neck," and it's like <laughs> Patsy, and she's like, "Well, you shouldn't be like stealing anyway," and it's like. Oh, your show was really crap. The 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 victim comes and goes. Oh, thanks for the phone. And then looks is like Patsy. It's just really funny. She's like, yeah, okay. And then you get that whole um sort of moment where she served the papers, but you you're not expecting it because you just think it's a continuation of the Trish Walker. Yeah. Is that you? You know, from this lady as she's on the row machine. Uh, I really like that. I, I thought it was a nice little bit touch of humor uh, throughout this. Uh, you know, before we kind of get to Jerry. Uh, place where we have that wonderful line that you know 
she has been warned off going to Jerry by Jessica in the past because she is a Prada wearing python. Mm -hmm. Uh, What a description of Jerry Hogarth. And again, the exchange here is, you know, Jerry is dealing with the reality of her business, which is law. Mm -hmm. Um, Trish has got this hyper sense of morality and... Um, it, it feels almost like she, you know, she does feel like she's a crusader. Every choice that she makes is absolutely the right one. And I love that in this scene, that's called out twice. Uh, once by Jerry, where she just goes, stop talking now. Uh, as, you know, she's probably going to sort of give Jerry information that she, as a lawyer, cannot know. Yeah. Um, and well, she you- says, yeah, she's got a fully trading professional in Krav Maga now. It's like, no, 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 don't tell me that, because <laughs> that <laughs> means you're a licensed weapons on your hands and feet. <laughs> you're not allowed to tell Stop me that. Stop talking. Uh-huh. And then you have that really uh, awkward moment with Malcolm mm. as well. I thought this was really, really good. And, I, um, you know, he's trying to keep it all to business, but... Trish is asking all these questions about Malcolm's choices and whether he's happy with that, you know, working for this defense attorney firm, getting guilty people um, out of jail. And I love his little comeback. You know, you should really keep us on retainer given we keep guilty people out of jail Mm -hmm. with the air quotes, um, because ultimately you have that here uh, with with Trish. Um, So, yeah, it's a nice kind of uh, lead in here, this this true of being a hero as you say with everyone knowing who she is that means she's getting sued and um, yeah and remember that relationship broke down in season two was between herself and malcolm because she was taking information from malcolm to try and further her career as a crime fighter yeah. basically so that's the whole thing here is he's having a really bad reaction to her trying that again with him and she also tries to kind of score a few brownie points by saying, oh, no, I was the one that shot Jessica's mother in the head. And he's like, you what? Yeah. Why would you, <laughs> yeah. why would you be proud of that? Your best friend's mother, you shot her in the head. Oh, great. Yeah, I, I really have a lot of respect for you now. Yeah, that was a little weird. Yeah. I, I, I see this very much being that she is the Superman, the Captain America. You know, the way, the way that you'll have Iron Man called Cap uh, Boy Scout. It's just... She has this unrelenting morality to what mm. she thinks is right, and that needs to change in this season. It, yeah. We expected it Big to change time. more throughout season two. It didn't. Mm-hmm. It just almost hardened, if you will. And we get a scene later on, we'll discuss it more, where she's at her laptop um, writing the notes to Jessica. Mm-hmm. And that morality is really strengthening her to a degree, giving mm-hmm. her a guiding compass. So I, I, I kind of do hope that that compass becomes broken, just so that we get character growth here, because right. it's a, it's the fallback for a lot of what Patsy does in this in this episode so far. Yeah, I, I have to say, like, you know, we it is really good to have this episode here to see her kind of build up to where she was at the end of episode one. Because one of the things I mentioned in, in our first episode coverage was that we do see Patsy creating a real plan and following through with a proper plan for the first time, not running in like she did all yeah. the way through season one and season two. So it is good that by the end of this episode, she's kind of gotten to a place where she is almost a hero. Um, it, it fails because Jessica got involved and Jessica didn't know what the plan was, which is what Patsy basically and Trish used to do all the time on Jessica was 
destroy plans that she made. <laughs> so this time seeing Jessica break the plan, like we see in this in this episode again, the repeated moment of Jessica breaking that plan that Trish has been setting up the whole time. So I think we have got a lot of the character growth in this episode. And this is one of the things that we were all quite disappointed with in season two. The, the reference was being made over and over again to, hey, look, this is Trish Walker. She's Hellcat in the comic books. She might get there by the end of the season. She might get there. And then the last scene of the season was her being able to catch her phone on her foot. At least we're two episodes into this season that she's starting to embrace that what we hoped she was going to do throughout season two. So hopefully yeah. we're, got, we're getting her here. We're getting loads of this big montage and we're getting loads of the training over. And hopefully we're going to see her embrace that character and have her as a much more central character this season, not this kind of thing in the background. True, true. The one thing I will say that made no sense is her stealing the files. Yeah. <laughs> I think I even have question marks as to what yeah. did she do there? Yeah. My notes say Trish gets a lot of files from that trip. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like she tripped him off. She goes, I will help you with that. And then did he leave the the lift with, with no boxes? Exactly. <laughs> and he's like, what was I doing? You know, did she hypnotize him or bang him on the head? I think she smacked his head against cupboard? the wall and just stole everything. <laughs> Except that everybody knows she was in the building. Exactly. So. That was so funny. It's just, yeah. it suddenly cut to Trish has all the files on her floor. Yeah. Is she now super fast that she can go in, photocopy them really quickly and then jump back in time? I was just like, oh, 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 the, oh we're missing an edit there. Just slightly. Yeah. I, I did like the trip up, though, because it did feel like something that Jessica would have done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that sense, again, it, it really it really did sort of bring me on that trip that she had learned from uh, Jessica mm-hmm. and was using her techniques for sure. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And it was the, the ditzy Jessica, you know, that the kind of the, the girly girl. <laughs> the, character, yeah. that, the character she plays yeah. to kind of get her own way. Yeah, it's like, I love yeah, she trips about She trips the guy up. Puts him into the lift and is like, oh, I'll just help you with that now. You know, as if he wouldn't notice that it was her foot that was sticking out and tripped him up, you know. <laughs> very, very good. But a big interesting change here from Malcolm's character as well, I think. Like we saw him being a little bit more ruthless in season in season two to kind of get that job with, with Jerry Hogarth. It's not really explained why he's working for Jerry directly now when he was working for Chang at the end of season two. She'd said she didn't want him working there at the end of season two specifically. But now he is working for her and he is much more ruthless you know we we see that he's finding a way to twist this mugger effectively so that he'll drop the ask they'll drop the money he's asking for down to a much lower level um it's kind of interesting how far down he drops his ask i suppose because jerry hogarth was expecting somewhere in the region of about 800 or 900 grand is what trish has been told which is the reason why trish gets rid of all of her worldly possessions and moves into this crap hole (laughs) is because she's been told by Jerry, you're going to need almost a million quid to just pay off this one thing. And you're going to need money to live on now that you don't have a job, basically. So, um, But he gets it down to about 50 grand because effectively he says that the guy's kid doesn't know that he's not have, uh, not his father. You know, uh, That's a really different version of Malcolm than we've seen in the past. Yeah, Malcolm's really changed here. I mean, I I did like um, a bit of this switch uh, around, actually. You know, Malcolm's kind of sort of judging Trish here Mm -hmm. in in the law firm. And then Trish kind of puts that back on him and judges him. You know, don't do anything like this on my behalf ever again. This idea that, you know, to get down to 50,000, you know, 
it's not like this guy was uh, a murderer, a fraudster, a, a rapist, or anything along those lines. You know, ultimately, he brought a kid up. Yes, he had a bad or checkered past, but he, he served his time on that. You know, he brought a kid up that uh, wasn't his, as though it was his own. Uh, and Malcolm has gone along the route of, um, you know, I will enlighten your child um, that, you know, you're not his actual father. Mm-hmm. Um, and all I could think of was, I got you. I did what it, I did to get the job done, simply to reduce uh, the 50,000. And it links back with, you know, Cody, the, the baseballer in, in episode one. And I'm just wondering, in terms of time frame, and that's just my own kind of uh, intrigue on this, you know, where does this lie? Because we see in episode one him kind of taking a stand against exactly what he has just um had called out to him here by Trish. So is it I presume it's after that, but it I, I like how um this episode interweaves with episode one mm-hmm. quite a lot. And I think this is a really good sort of example of that. I, I, I must say um and I, I think yeah Malcolm wow you've changed uh, a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah it's it, it's a strange one. His his whole Morality, if you want to call it that, like the, the, that compass that Jessica, I think they all consider Jessica was the bad person. Jessica was the one doing everything wrong. And now mm. what we've seen is two seasons later, or at least a season and a bit later, now that they're no longer with Jessica, they're doing the exact same stuff that she would do. Um, it, mm-hmm. it's essentially the exact same way. Like Jessica would use her strength or her anger, and if she did something that she didn't like at the end, she would do something about it later in the shadows. Um, so that's kind of where we're getting. It's the that again the the twisting of the characters, the evolution. Twisting is the wrong word. It's the evolution of these characters, which yeah. is something we've always wanted. All the way back to season one. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because he's effectively saying when he's called out by Trish, who's who's saying, don't, don't ever do anything like this in my name. He's saying to her, he just kind of looks at her and says, it's not anything to do with you at all. I'd do this for anybody, whether I knew them or not. I'm doing it to prove myself to Hogarth because I want to make this position in her company work. Uh, it's absolutely nothing to do with Trish. It could be just another woman off the street that this happened to. So I think that's quite interesting where he's completely separating himself from this relationship he used to have with Trish and Jessica uh, right there. He's doing all of this for himself. So you did have a good question there, John. I I do wonder where this takes place in comparison to that portion in episode one, where he pushes back against the kind of stuff that Hogarth's asking him to do. Even with his relationship with Jessica, you know, Trish says um, you couldn't be as far away from alias investigations as as you could be. And he's like, not far enough, you Mm -hmm. know, so there's still that wound uh, there as well. Um, but I, I think speaking of shopping and Armani suits and uh, other types of suits, uh, that brings us on to case note number three, okay. uh, costume shopping and the shopping channel um, here. Yeah, normally these would fall into our notes section, wouldn't they? But I thought there's so much going on in the scene and we definitely missed a few, but there's so much going on in the scene where after Trish has been called out by these two guys saying, 
recognizing her as Patsy immediately. She needs to go and get a costume, right? So I love the scene where she's going costume shopping and trying on all the different costumes. We see a She-Hulk costume. We see her dressed up in that purple costume with the black sash yep. uh, and the little mask. It's really like cartoon She-Hulk, if anybody remembers her from the 80s, uh, and definitely a comic book uh, version of She-Hulk that we've seen as well. Um, she tries on a Catwoman mask, which is really ill-fitting and just falls off her face immediately because she's not Catwoman. Remember, she's Hellcat, so uh, nice little touch there. <laughs> Also, we see the biggest uh, female superhero, I suppose, uh, over the last couple of years. We see Captain Marvel, a little knockoff costume that she has where she puts on the wig and wearing the Captain Marvel costume. Really importantly, Carol Danvers was, was supposed to make her first appearance on this TV show in Jessica Jones. Uh, in the comic books, Jessica's best friend is Carol Danvers. The whole point of that is because Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel, as we know, is like an off-world superhero in space versus Jessica Jones, this private eye who doesn't really know how to control her powers at all so having the two of those side by side are two completely different characters so love that choice in the comic books from brian michael bendis to have those as best friends um but that's the little touch here is that you have trish her best friend from the tv show dressing up as her best friend from the comics so nice little touch there and finally we do get the actual comic book yellow hellcat outfit we see her in full yellow with her black mask and she just looks at it and goes hell no yeah, no, that did look uh, a little bit dated for sure. Um, I did like also the Mexican wrestling mask as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also you have one of those just random masks where she just can't see anything out of it. Um, <laughs> and ultimately this all comes down to her, after buying whatever she's bought in that costume shop, um, in her boot she finds a woolly hat exactly. that she uses <laughs> instead. Um, so, yes. It's slightly better than the usual uh, hoodie that every other uh, Marvel TV superhero seems to go for, is just put the hoodie up and nobody will know who you are. <laughs> yeah. At least she's kind of covering the bottom of her face and her head, so you can only see just her eyes. Um, we see throughout the episode she keeps putting her blonde hair up into the hat. That's her, her little cover that maybe she has short hair or maybe she has long hair. It's a, it's a little touch at least and feels more realistic, I suppose, for the character. Um, there's a few more masks in there love to hear from our fellow defenders if there's ones that uh, you recognize that we may not have picked out just email us at feedback at defenders tv podcast.com uh, with any ones that we may have missed i think i saw uh, the red mask that you see in the first season of, of agents of shield you saw some guys dressed up in a red mask i think she's wearing one of those and there's definitely one uh, from a comic book film from um, one of the wolverine comics okay. uh, that she's wearing the mask that's very similar to that as well i think but but you never know there may be ones that we that we missed as well Oh, hundred percent. I, I, I'm pretty sure every single one of those masks was a, a, a th- callback to something. Like mm-hmm. the Luchador one, I'm pretty sure is something. Um, That's the Mexican wrestling mask, is it? Yes, the Luchador. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, look. I, and the question is, and I, am I happy with what she settled on? Nah, it, it's it, it's okay. It does the job. It does mm-hmm. exactly. It's a kind of Ron Seal. It does exactly what it says on the tin. <laughs> it really is just kind of like, okay, yeah, it's the bare minimum. This re- reminds me of the proto costume from Daredevil season one. Mm-hmm, it, exactly. it's, it should be like that. Um, yeah. And we should see her now because she's been doing it for a while. Um, start to work on it. Um, but that yeah, hasn't it- happened yet. It would be nice to have a few flecks of yellow in her outfit, I think. It, you know, uh, those few little touches. Um, I do like that, that, you know, it's kind of in your face with the Hellcat black and yellow costume from, like, the, the comics mm-hmm. um, back in the day. But, you know, that that kind of nod towards that, not completely sort of shutting it out 
um, you know, straight off the bat. Um, it would be nice to have some uh, flecks of yellow in her new uh, outfit because I really did think that the costume shop was an excellent sequence, mm-hmm. or, or dare I say sequence. <laughs> it is a really good sequence. And, and you're right, there is a little touch later on in the episode. You see that she pulls down the uh, the zip on, on her bomber jacket, the black bomber jacket that she's wearing, and she's actually wearing the same colour yellow t-shirt ah, okay. underneath so there is a little touch of the yellow it's not part of the costume specifically but i think you're right chris i think this is just a call out to the fact that all of the defenders have effectively found their costumes for want of a better word uh, in their wardrobes or just in normal shops basically and just put them together you know the only person that may have had a little bit more eccentric of a costume is iron fist but remember he was in a, a mythical plane so of course he's gonna have a slightly more eccentric costume but most of the time he did just wear his hoodie, right? So, for the most part, all of these characters have just found their found their clothes in the local shops, basically. So, uh, it is important, though, that Trish is the one that goes on a costume search, as opposed to all the rest of them. She's the only one that actually goes to a costume shop to try and find her superhero outfit. Because remember, season one, when Jessica revealed her superpowers to her, it was Trish that turned up with the jewel costume from the comic, trying to get Jessica to put on that white and purple outfit, uh, <laughs> which Jessica was like, not a chance. So, <laughs> so of course, Trish would be the one that would try and search out for something more, more comic book-like. Yeah. Yes, she is the one who um, kind of idolizes that whole, that the whole hero should mm-hmm. genre. Um, we did get our, I, I, I'm sure you called it out in the last episode, Captain America is officially being named as Captain America and not just S.H.I.E.L.D. guy anymore. Mm-hmm, that's right. Which is both a happy thing and quite a sad thing. But as well, she is a fashionista. So yeah, this whole costume shop really uh, lends itself. But Patsy does return to TV as well uh, through the, the work of her mum, Dorothy, mm-hmm. who I was so pleased to uh, see back in, in this episode uh, as she's doing the QVC thing um, f- and selling this this pretty hideous cardigan but it seems to be uh f- going off the shelf certainly um that and that cardigan was gorgeous what are you talking about <laughs> at 11 o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the morning whatever time that show goes out i'm sure there was loads of people going that's amazing cardigan i think the thing i love <laughs> about this cardigan is nothing um it's yeah it, but it, it serves trish you know it she um, it shows that she's doing something yeah. while she keeps her project sort of undercover. This training and, and the investigation that she she's doing. Um, so I like this kind of you know cover in plain sight that Patsy takes um, from her mum. I do think Dorothy, you know, as well visiting Trisha's new hovel is just again another really nice light touch in amongst all of this. Um, you know, there's something different between simple and bleak, I have to say, is a line that I will never forget, you know, <laughs> and she kind of does say this, can you give that view a coat of paint when Trish is kind of trying to be upbeat and positive about, you know, sort of sprucing up this cinder block hell mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, lots of different kind of ewes and yucks and, and what have you coming from uh, Dorothy. So it's just nice to have her back. I love um, how she is just so brutal. She's br- <laughs> she's brutal and she's really good. Like Rebecca De Mornay plays this part so well. I noticed this time when she's having these conversations with Trish that she never blinks. That's really disturbing when she's having <laughs> these conversations. There's not one moment does Rebecca De Mornay break eye contact with her, yet she takes everything 
incorrectly. Everything that Trish is saying, she kind of says, you know, are you happy here? And Trish goes, well, it serves its purpose. And then she goes, you need to move out of this time slot because this time slot's not very good for you. And Trish goes, it works for me. People need to know where Patsy is. That's all. Everything that Trish is saying is absolutely true. But she's not saying she's happy. She's not saying she wants to be there. She's not saying she likes the money. She's not saying that she wants that time of the day to work in. She's saying it all works for her other project yeah. that she's got going on and that the public won't question what's happened to Patsy, basically. So uh, so I like the, that the surface conversation that is happening between Dorothy and Trish seems to be all that Dorothy ever gets. Yeah, definitely. Nothing ever meaningful between these two, unfortunately. Yeah, and Dorothy is wonderful. I do love that she's created this rider for this TV show where she's like, where's that vitamin water, Trish? My vitamin water. Where's the Skittles? And Trish goes, I don't even like Skittles. She's like, but I do. That's why I had them on your rider. You know. <laughs> I hate Dorothy. You hate Dorothy? Yeah, I really dislike her character. I really dislike... I hate that... <laughs> That mother, that that character of the mother that kind of feeds off the fame of a child. Like, yeah. the mother does nothing. She's mean and just all she cares about is the money coming. Because she gets 10% or 5% of it. So she doesn't even care about her daughter. She cares mm-hmm. about the look of her daughter. Absolutely. Um, so I hate Dorothy's character, not the actress. You love watching her, right? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. It, it, it's like car crash TV. Absolutely. It's just like you, you just can't turn away. Yeah, like you mentioned already, John, the, this new apartment that, that Patsy has, which is in our case note number four about Patsy's new case, this whole new apartment that she has. I love that Trish describes it as a converted loft and then goes, well, not actually converted at all. It's basically just a loft. <laughs> and she's introducing her mother to the place. You know, she didn't invite her over because it wasn't, it didn't fit her standards. You have Dorothy going, this isn't how a walker conducts themselves. And Trish goes, well, I guess I picked the right place, didn't I? <laughs> There's a great interplay between the two of them in this place. But this is her new hideout, as we as we heard described back in episode one from Jessica. This is a hideout. This is a superhero hideout, or as close as it's, as we're going to get in any of these shows. She's basically created her own little back cave, um, so she can look into all of these other cases that she's effectively stolen from Hogarth and Associates. You know, she's stolen this, all these case files. They're all on the floor, all spread out. So she's finding what her next case is going to be. Uh, I like that she goes for a rapist. I think that's a really a good choice for this character to go after these yeah. kind of street-level villains, I suppose. Yeah, um, and it's gr- a great moment as she's stalking this guy where you get that voiceover from her once again going, I never envied this side of your life, Jessica, the side of being an investigator where you're just sitting watching people for hours hoping you've chosen the right thing, you know? She says that this guy was a rapist and he got off before and he's going to commit the crime again. But that could be five years. You know, it could be a week. It could be a day, but it could be five years that she's following this guy all the time, waiting for him to trip up and and waiting for him to revert to his rapist ways. So I do like this idea of Trish kind of going, oh, have I done the right thing here by following this guy? I, I completely agree with you. Uh, I think this is it, it's very noir. This was mm-hmm. the, the this episode reminded me brought back that feeling of noir with that voiceover, mm-hmm. um, and we'll talk about the direction maybe just at the end very quickly. This yeah. is a love letter to season one almost. This episode mm. in that it brought back the gritty feeling. Now we didn't get one black and white scene, but I kind of wished it just faded black and white to a degree, <laughs> just because it would smoke just billowing. Um, but it was it was that whole noir thing, and yeah, she, Trish going for this stakeout, going after a rapist who she's one of the good guys. So mm-hmm. she's her belief is that no, he's gonna do this again. She's gonna catch him, 
And her whole thing is that she wants to be bring brightness into the world. So when yeah. she does yeah. see him spike that girl and follow him, um, the, the young rapist down to the alley where he's about, he is, she catches him just before he does anything, goes straight yeah. for the balls and then knocks <laughs> him out. Um, and then she wakes up the girl. And then rather than take too much credit or take any credit, she tells the, the, the victim that she did it. And yeah. that she needs to ask for and she needs to stay awake. And, but then the, the crux of this is what happens is when she's sitting in that car looking at the potential victim. Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing that you see that smile on her face and you hear that voice over where she is like, so this is what it feels like. Just one, like doing one success. Uh, my first success if it feels like this. Yeah, and you hear the title of the episode. You hear you're welcome for the first time. She's finally able to, even though she's not specifically thanked from anybody in this in this actual scene, she lets out that, I guess, her new catchphrase, you're welcome. So she's she's kind of giving back to the city and finally accomplishing something. And then she kind of moves up now. After this, she's after achieving this first uh, saving, I suppose, of, of a victim or a potential victim, she then moves up and moves on to this guy, Andrew Brandt, uh, yeah, who she I mean, sees on TV. I, I like that she's learning all the time mm-hmm. as well. You know, you, you see her with the the victim, the, uh, the the potential rape victim saying, you need to call this in, you need to ask the police for a, a tox uh, screen, all this kind of stuff because of what happened with the, the mobile phone and, and the notice being served. And then it's like, you know, she builds it up again, you know, instead of a stakeout looking uh, at the two through the restaurant window you know she she's got the hire of a hotel room for what a week two weeks to stake out uh this guy andrew brandt who's been an absolute like nightmare this rich guy to his sister you know he's got the the suggestion is he's got thugs to come in and beat up his own sister because whilst he got everything else in an inheritance she got a statue that he wants mm-hmm. so um she she's she's following him you know and it's to the point of pure like dullness as well where she's like oh you're going to take a, a a breath mint now um and all this kind of stuff mm-hmm. you know it's just slow and painful for her um you know it's part of the reason i think uh you know all these different kind of this waiting the the false starts as she's trying to really stake this guy out yeah. um i mean no wonder jessica drinks whiskey quite frankly uh-huh. uh given the amount of waiting well exactly exactly and that's kind of the whole point is getting Trish to see Jessica's side of life, I suppose, because she thinks it's all easy. She thinks, I get superpowers, I beat people up, I win, they go to jail, and I'm a superhero, you know? Um, She's learning now, after finally getting her superpowers, after all of these years, she's wanted them since she was a kid, but after finally getting the superpowers now, she's finding out what it's really like. And what it's really like is, well, lawsuits, and uh, sometimes getting the wrong person, and uh, staking people out for weeks on end, and then the whole thing being ruined, like it was by Jessica coming in and trying to save her, as Jessica thinks, you know. Um, I really enjoy how they've done this. The one thing I didn't get, uh, if you guys maybe can explain it to me, um, when when Trish is watching on uh, Andrew Brandt, and finally goes into the, into the um, safe to take out the stuff and she sees that that's where the statue is inside and then she follows him down the street and he takes a bag of money out of his pocket and put it puts it into into the bank but she still follows him 
is that supposed to mean that he didn't actually take the statue out? He was yeah. just taking some money out to go he, to the bank? And he then... didn't. She thought he was taking the statue out. Right. And yeah, okay. she, she assumes it's in there. She then, mm-hmm. because of the way he turned, she thought he put it in the bag and was obviously right. going to go fence it or something. And then it yeah. looks like he just basically was lodging his large amounts of cash mm-hmm. uh, to the bank, which is not weird. I think it's the suggestion that he's paying off whoever he got to to beat up his sister. Okay. Uh, okay because, um, for, yeah, he, he's looking around quite suspiciously. He's quite shifty. Um, yeah. And so on. Oh, that's what I took, but maybe he was just lodging it into a bank. No, that makes sense. I, I was wondering because it just seemed like it had to mean something else. And we know from our final case note, uh, we know that we're going to see this character again, right? Um, our final case note is a letter to Jessica. It's the kind of thing that ties through the whole episode we mentioned it a few times but it is really about trisha's voiceover this is why she does the voiceover really and i like that this is the justification we've had jessica do the voiceover from episode one of season one we've had her do her voiceover talking about it which you always get in in noir detective stories you always have your main character doing the voiceover but it's not explained very often no in general it's because they're writing case notes about each case that's happening that's what it's supposed to be is their voice coming through that way so i like that they've used this letter to jessica or email to jessica actually uh to explain it why trish would be doing the same type of voiceover um this is the same email that that jessica read in episode one where it's effectively telling jessica to stay out of trish's life but we see there was much more to the to the email. It was actually much more of a diary to Jessica yeah. about the fact that Trish wanted to tell her immediately. She wanted to tell her all about getting superpowers and wanted Jessica to work with her and that she's learned everything from Jessica and, and that she's trying to redeem herself with Jessica. Could Does she need to save 10 or 100 people? How many people does she need to save before their relationship will be back together? Um but that's not what Jessica sees either. She drives a further fracture between the two of them when Jessica reads the email and, it, and the email is effectively telling Jessica to step off and step away from her. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think this is really nice um, kind of being peppered throughout the, the the episode. You know, right at the start, we we get this, you know, Trish's story. You know, if I had your powers, what would I do? Um, you know, never thought it would happen, but it has. And then you have all this, you know, the, there's the fracture of her relationship with Jessica. And she, you know, I took something from you at uni time, but I'll be ready when you are. And, you know, you get this, this, this um, whole thing through, uh, then this email that she ha- is learning from Jessica, that she wants to team up with Jessica. Yeah. And, um, but then it kind of, she scrubs it out as though, you know, that, that crusader, uh, that righteousness comes out and say, you know, I was the only one that could make that decision. She, she has to suddenly sort of revert to as though she was like speaking to, to Malcolm. Uh, as you were saying before, Chris, about her, the, the, this this righteousness of, of, of Trisha. Uh, and, and unfortunately, that's what um, Jessica sees in that moment when she's going through her laptop uh, on in order to try and find her, you know, after Dorothy is, has hired her. So, um, yeah, I, I loved how this moves through uh, the episode and, and ultimately to that point where you hear Malcolm uh, on the other end of the mobile saying that she's in hospital and she's called for you, Trish. Mm. And this is the moment that 
that Trish thinks that, you know, she says, I'll be ready when you are. She thinks that Jessica is now ready uh, to put everything uh, to to one side and yeah. to make amends. And you have that really kind of um, cold moment in, in the hospital. Yeah, like near-death experience has Trish... Yeah, near-death experience has Jessica finally forgiven Trish for everything now that she's rethinking her life as she lay bleeding on the ground. Well, not really, unfortunately. No, and it, it's such a hard... It, it, I feel for both of You actually feel for both of them in that one scene because mm-hmm. you feel that you see the elation on, um, on Trish's face because she's mm-hmm. left work again. Basically, she's dis after disappearing for two nights. She's come in a yeah. third night. Suddenly, got a call from her stepsister, and or her sister, and has left the office again after being told she had one more chance, or no I more did chances. Not that. Yeah, mm. so I'm wondering how what the what the fallout is going to be in the next episode. Is yeah. there going to be yeah. a fallout, or did she go after her session? Yeah, I didn't notice that. And again, I suppose Jessica seems like she's still unconscious when Trish arrives. You have that kind of conversation between the two of them where Trish is like, and look at all the stuff I bought you to make sure that you're okay. I'll be here every step of the way with you, Jessica. And Jessica, just as you say, John, really coldly just goes, tell me his name. And Trish thinks they're having a conversation and thinks they're having that team up that she's always wanted. But no, she just wants the guy's name and then just turns away from her completely. As Trish walks out the door saying the new catchphrase, effectively, you're welcome in the other you know, one of the other ways you could say you're welcome, which means you're not welcome at all. Yeah. I really didn't enjoy that at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not, not in my experience. That overall is our top five case notes for the episode. A couple of other things happened in the episode that we didn't get to put into our case notes. One, I think that was really important because it just happens so often on TV shows where you have an entire season that sets two characters up to be together. And then that the boyfriend disappears next season because you don't need the actor anymore. I'm so glad they brought back Oscar to have the actual breakup and see why the two of them broke up. Uh, Jessica's kind of back into the friend zone again. Um, I like I like that idea, and it, it makes a lot of sense that because her mother's now dead, she can't let Oscar into her life. She tried that with her mother. Her mother did get inside her life, but hey, she lost her mother, so she can't do this again. So I kind of like that idea that Jessica's kind of shutting down that wall again. Yeah, absolutely. And and you have that little moment because the scene is there with uh, Trish overhearing it. Mm-hmm. You know, she she's she's made the 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 save with the girl who was going to be raped and she wants to now go and tell this to Jessica, yeah. see if it makes amends. Uh, yet she hears and overhears this conversation between Oscar and Jessica where Jessica talks about her mum and how that death you know letting people in and she realizes it's not the right time yeah yeah and it's a, like it's a real shame to break up the two characters they did spend a lot of time getting both of them together throughout season two a lot of time and a lot of paint true yeah <laughs> they did but i know because i've seen tv shows that go on for 10 seasons i know they always break up and and reconnect the main character with boyfriends and girlfriends over and over again over the course of many many years so for one reason and one reason only, I'm happy this is the final season of Jessica Jones because she needs to get back with Luke Cage, right? That's where it should be ending up is that she should be with Luke Cage. So I know every time she has a partner or a boyfriend on these shows, I'm going, oh, why are they doing that? She should be with Luke Cage. So I'm glad that the show is ending at the end of season three because I don't think I could go through another season of her building up another relationship with another boyfriend, knowing it's going to end. I hate that on TV shows, so, <laughs> so I'm happy. I wonder if we'll we'll even get 
closure because the this is the something you guys probably have discussed, but I I haven't been here to discuss. Yes, this is mm-hmm. the known end season for Jessica Jones. So yes, exactly. I am wondering if they'll at least address some of that to give her the happy ending. Um, I I haven't read um Melissa Rosenberg's um interview. I think where where was mm-hmm. it? Uh, I put it up on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash Defenders TV podcast. Um, she was talking to uh, Entertainment Tonight uh, online. Uh, we did talk about it last episode, yes. Yeah. She did say that when they crafted the end of this series, they knew it was the final of their three-series arc for Jessica Jones. Now, I don't know about happy ending, but there's an ending. Um, there yeah, <laughs> I, I, so I'm, I'm hoping they at least address some of that. Like, will she pick up the phone and you'll see her scroll to the Luke's contact and like hover over Luke's contact or at least press Maybe. the button and then she goes, yeah. Hey, it's me. And then it cuts to like, it ends there. Something that kind of goes, look, we know you wanted to see this. We can't do that because Mike Coulter's off filming X, Y, Z. So mm-hmm. here's a nice nod to the fact that they may get back together. Yeah. I'm hoping yeah. that's kind of where we'll get to by the end of the season. Yeah, I think you're right. It would be nice, and I hope that they do have an ending. I'm not too sure whether it's going to be her getting together with Luke or anything like that, because I don't want to watch ahead, and I don't want to know either until I get to that episode, of course. Um, but I know that she wants this show to end, and I'm I'm glad that that happens on TV shows, that we do get an end sometimes now. Um, we were kind of stuck on, on some of the other Defender shows not getting an end, so knowing that Jessica Jones has been written towards an end with this season is a really good thing, because... If they get a season four and they have to reset the whole thing all over again to get Jessica back to to drink dependent PI once again, <laughs> I don't know whether I would take that. I'm really enjoying the season so far, but I I hate this idea of having to bring her back and reset her every season because you've put her at a place that's not Jessica Jones by the end of a season. Yeah. So I'm really happy that they're working towards something. Um, another couple of quick notes before we move on to our, our defense. Um the co-host that's on the knitting show or the on uh, Trisha's style show, um, she says something about calling a superhero called Jennifer something and Trish corrects her to Jessica. But I'm wondering, was she actually talking about Jennifer Walters, uh, who's She-Hulk? Uh, just p- purely because Trish is trying on that She-Hulk outfit. I wonder, does Jennifer Walters exist in this universe as well? If there is some connections between She-Hulk and these characters, Daredevil and, and Jessica Jones and Luke Cage. They have worked together in the past. So I was just wondering if the co-host was calling out Jennifer something. Probably not. I'm sure it was It was just her mispronouncing Jessica Jones because Jessica Jones is not that famous. It's a good reference. I mean, I, I, I like to think that that would be the case, mm-hmm. to be honest. There you go. There you go. Easter egg. It, maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, Trisha's selling knitwear, as we mentioned earlier on. Uh, Krista Ritter is known for being really into knitwear. She has her own patterns and has her own pattern book that you can buy as well. So uh, so quite interesting that that's the first thing that she's selling on the show as well. John, any whiskey watch? No, not at all. Um, there's some bottles in Brandt's apartment, but a bit like Trish, she needs uh, a pair of binoculars to see uh, the brands there. <laughs> it might be vodka as well. And maybe he's a rum drinker. Who knows? Well, he has an entire bar worth of stuff. I don't think it's all whiskey, but there's definitely a few bottles on there. Yeah, um, yeah no, he's a bit of a nightmare, isn't he, given what he did to his sister. So, uh, yeah, no whiskey watch Who for brands. Yeah, yes. exactly. well, we, we don't care. For all I care, it is douchebag O'Hara. I don't even know what, it, I don't even know what that would taste like, but I'm assuming mm-hmm. it tastes terrible. 
Yeah, it would leave an ashy taste in the mouth, I think. Yes. So I think that's all the notes. Um, on to our defense. Chris, do you defend episode two of Jessica Jones? I was not prepared for this. On our notes, it says Derek <laughs> is the first one to go. But um, yes, I do defend. It always says Derek. I know, because you always should be first. <laughs> Yes, I do defend this episode of uh, Jessica in season three. Um, I'm so happy to be back in this world. Um, while there is some very choice writing um, in terms of some of the, the, the character development or lack thereof or pushing them to a certain thing but kind of forgetting certain other aspects, um, it's all character evolution in the end and I, I'm, I'm kind of quite happy with that. Um very excited to see where we go. We've 11 episodes, 11 hours left of pure, unadulterated uh, alcoholism and superheroics, um, which is always a good thing. Um, but yet we've, we <laughs> wondered, we were teased with Hellcat for two seasons, 26 episodes. Uh, and finally, now she's here, so let's see what she can do. Um, it's going to be an interesting thing. Um I would have preferred a bit, bit more of a costume. I think that's just me. I, I like my costumes, especially after the MCU. Um, I, I, I like putting on a mask and a wig <laughs> and running around in, in, in my spare time as well. So um, it, it's why I think I like it. Uh, but in all honesty, yes, I, I completely defend this and I want to see where it goes. Uh, on that note, John, do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones? I do defend this episode of Jessica Jones. You're welcome. Um, or AKA, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> you are welcome. Yes, I would give this four Prada wearing pythons out of five. Nice. Um, I really liked uh, getting to know Trisha's story, to be honest. And again, it, it, it builds into the flavor, I think, of the first episode. Um, as you've mentioned, Chris, this, the, the, the film noir, the PI noir detective, the voiceovers, this time is Trisha's voiceover and i think that's really important for this show i i think you know it, it links in and develops from season two and that fallout that jessica and trish had it also leans back into season one and, and season two of this idea that trish has always said you know if i had your powers what would i do um this idea of the two of them becoming a team but are as far apart as they've ever been mm -hmm. uh, so it, it's really really nice and again, I think we, we, you know, we connect in a bit more, learn a bit more as to where Malcolm has been. Uh, it's nice to see Oscar um, and the relationship here with Trish uh, and fame and Trish and uh, her mother as the curator of her brand in that sense. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I really like this. I, I love seeing how she develops her self physically as a detective and um realizes you know that it, it wasn't all easy for jessica as well and it, it's all just kind of topped off really nicely i think with that sort of bittersweet end where she thinks it's the time where they're gonna reconnect you know it's jessica is ready for them to sort of uh, reconnect and let bygones be bygones because that water has passed you know under the bridge and instead it's the cold um sterile surgical environment of the hospital where it's i just want a name his full name and then that's it you know she turns away it's not sorted uh it's not okay um and i can't wait for the next episode to see uh 
where this is going to take us. Um, so yeah, absolutely defend this episode of Jessica Jones. Derek, do you defend episode two of Jessica Jones? AKA, you're welcome. I absolutely defend this episode. Yeah, exactly as you guys have said, just one huge shout out to Kristen Ritter for directing this episode. I think you're right, Chris. You said it during uh, your discussion there that this is a love letter to season one. It's a love letter to Jessica Jones. This actress knows her character so well. And it's not a Jessica Jones-centric episode, which I think is really interesting. It's a Trish-centric episode. And effectively, she's putting all of the constraints, I suppose, on top of Trish that have been put on Jessica all the way through the last two seasons. She has a lot of fun with it and has a lot of fun with the idea of Trish trying to be a PI and trying to do all the things that Jessica Jones did. Um, you can tell the writer, Hilliox Jr., has a really good grasp of the character and a really good grasp of what humour you can get out of the situations that are in this show as well. So yeah. um, well done to both of them. This is a high recommend for me. My only tiny, tiny issue with it is because they're going back and seeing everything that happens from a different perspective from episode one, it feels a little bit too close to episode one. We've now had two hours of a show that hasn't actually moved us a huge amount into the main storyline of the show. That's absolutely fine. You've got 13 episodes, so why not? It's it's not a major problem, but it feels like you could probably have done this episode on episode four, episode five to kind of catch you up on a bit more of the storyline, maybe. Um, but I really did like spending much more time with Trish Walker because she is a character that's been relegated to the background and relegated to silly girl makes mistakes because she wants to get superpowers a lot in the last couple of seasons. But now we see her having those and now we see her moving into becoming Hellcat, which is what I've wanted for two seasons since we saw the character being cast on the show. So I'm really glad we get to see that in this episode. So overall, very high recommend. It's like a four out of five for me as well. Uh, very close to yourself, John. But it maybe could have happened a bit later on in the season. That's all. But really, really enjoyed it. We do have a bit of feedback in already on episode one. Uh, John, a bit of feedback from Facebook? Yeah, over on our Facebook group, uh, you can check us out on the at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast. Bob Phillip uh, says, stunning reintroduction to the world of Jessica Jones. Adorable and awful and terrible example of sensible drinking and healthy relationships. It's good to be back with Jessica, Hellcat, the cat's mother, JJ's baby boy, the demon lawyer, and the cute suit. <laughs> Loving the new secretary and the ninja baddie. Uh, will we see a single arc or two semi-series arcs? All will be revealed, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Yes, cute suit. Um, old Malcolm looking fine. Although I did think his legs were a little... Um, or his trouser legs were a little short. It, it did kind of look like he was wearing plus fours a bit. But I think that's the new style <laughs> yeah. uh, of which I'm not a part of. True. True. Yeah, looking pretty dapper, yeah, since we saw last season him shaving that hair off in the mirror and getting himself ready to go for that first meeting with Chan Benowitz. He's now kept that style going into season two. Not exactly Armani, but close enough. He looks great. Uh, really glad that he's keeping this style, even though his, his heart might be getting darker. At least he's looking cool doing it, right? Absolutely. We all like a man in a suit or, dare I say, like a uniform. <laughs> um, so, yes, uh yeah. Suit is the uniform of a businessman, yes. Exactly. Uh, Claire Laffer said, made me want to have a burger and whiskey. And Kel Hensley replied, well, it made me want to get stabbed in the stomach. No, I'm just kidding. Really glad to be back in this universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I really prefer uh, the burger and whiskey uh, option there, Kale, uh, to be honest, uh, compared to, yeah, a little stab in the stomach. Because then the, the burger and the whiskey would uh, fall out. Mm -hmm. 100%. Uh, hats off to Claire as well, who also helped us with some of the costume identification. Um, so really great there. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much to everybody for sending in your feedback. We're hoping to get loads more of it this season. We're doing our episodes of Jesse Jones a bit slower than we normally do. We're trying to fit it around a lot of travel from Chris and John over the next couple of weeks. So hopefully we'll have at least one of you guys on with me each episode. Um, that's what we're planning yes. on. Um, hopefully uh, we'll have otherwise, it. it's going to be the Derek Only show. Well, oh, yeah. yeah. Hey, why not? Yeah. You're great at speaking to yourself. I really do not want yeah. to do an episode on my you own. I love your own voice. I really don't. <laughs> I've had to listen to 403 episodes of my voice editing every single one. Uh, you'll be surprised how much of me ends off on the cutting room floor when I'm the one editing. <laughs> yeah, well, I have had to pick up an arm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but thanks so much for joining us, fellow defenders. Talk to you next time. Yes, thank you so much. And uh, remember to share the love, share the podcast, and sure, why not leave us a review? Because it's the last season. What else are you going to do? Go on. You know you want to. <laughs> thank you so much, fellow defenders. Yeah, we'll be back with our review of Jessica Jones Season 3, Episode 3, a.k.a. I Have No Spleen. Uh, that will be out this week. As always, fellow defenders, thank you so much for joining us. You should really keep us on retainer, given we keep podcaster people out of trouble. So to keep you out of trouble, we'll be back to speak with you soon. Bye. Bye. Release the Hellcats! <laughs> Bye. <laughs> The further and further away we get from Luke Cage, the less sense the swear jar makes as our indicator for these are eight takes. So I just thought I'd pop in here and go, if anybody wants to buy the swear jar, um, it's going up for auction in a couple of weeks time at PropStore.com. I'm going to try my best to buy it for Defenders TV Podcast. If anybody has the opportunity to pick it up, send us a photograph of it if you're the ones that picked it up because uh, it means so much to us. We love the swear jar from Luke Cage season one. Anyway, here's some outtakes in case you haven't had enough of us. And we get a scene later on, we'll discuss it more, where she's at her laptop um, writing the notes to Jessica. Mm-hmm. And yep. that mola- molarity? That's a chemistry term. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> molarity. Molar. And that morality is really... Uh, there as well. But I think... Um, not the best segue from myself, but case note number three. Um, speaking of maybe wounded, though, a li- I'm sorry, I just was trying to move on. I'll do that again. So he's definitely wounded here as well, you know. And finally, we do get the actual cartoon. And finally, we do get the actual comic book yellow Hellcat outfit. So, yes, I do defend this episode of uh, Jessica Jones season two. Nope, season three, even, if you will. Claire Laffer said it made me want to have a burger and whisker. Whisker? Uh, But uh, keeping you out of trouble, that means we'll be back with you soon to speak with you. Yeah, so to keep you out of trouble, we will be... (laughs)